Hello, welcome to Solomon's Temple. This episode, I want to go over political, some political ideologies, maybe just a couple, mainly um, Marxism a little bit and fascism, because it seems like fascism and Marxism have sort of been in fashion lately. Now, fascism has the root term fashion, you know, appearance, things appear to be uh, fashionable, that they go along with trend. There is a uh, notable quality in fascism where things trend, that within the social dynamic there is something fashionable going on that the culture is creating something that the um uh, the so the socialization process is going along with the culture creation and we're seeing a lot of that with memes <laughs> i don't know if this is going to freak anybody out but yeah you know this is what i see fascism is a political doctrine combining ethnic nationalism so a sort of we belong here this is our genetic group um the association of what this ethnic uh, group is is narrow more narrowly and narrowly defined based on who's in your core circle so it's more of a, a very conservative confining um, genetic understanding if you look like this if you're more like me then you're you're better i guess or the uh, national identity is thus and so we have rooted it this way this is what we know best this is what we spend the most time in and we've decided to keep it this way and run it over and strengthen it it's it's sort of autistic it's very um determined to be itself over and over again and to have a strong sense of self-definition uh, it is driven by self Usually fascist nations uh, deal with uh, military, so it is hierarchical. You you deal with uh, a chain of command that will tell you what to do, and there's generally someone at the head, like a general, or just a ruler of some sort, emperor maybe, or a king, monarchical. There's been lots of uh, authoritarian societies. Totalitarianism is sort of the view, and that the state uh, should be controlled, uh, should control all aspects of social life as opposed to individual liberty and and that the fulfillment should be held relative to the nation than towards the individual and, and what they have for themselves. The authority is sort of uh, assimilated and identified with the national leader. It's articulated through that, where it's conceived that it's his task in particular, and it's usually he, because it's uh, more inherently chauvinistic and male in form is that there is a sort of decline in the in the national character and that they're to save you from that um, that sort of detriment or a, a national arrest and it's usually pointing at our identities and our uh, sovereign collective sense of self is eroding and that's usually the kind of conservatism if you could compare it to that 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 it deals with and it is a far-right ideology make no mistake Although the the state control tends to be more of a left-wing idea that you put a strong central foundation of government, of statehood. The values therein are national values that everyone's values should be enacted and be viewed through the lens of the state. There's a sense of strong law and order. The roots of culture are very strong and they're also related to law. And then maybe to a, an ethnic sense of uh, um, religious or philosophic disposition, economic disposition. According to Plato, the ideal society is a state where class structure is based on fixed deferential capacities. 
of citizenry that are rigid, rigidly orchestrated so that each class of persons performs the tasks for which the natural talents of its members best fit them. In a sense, there's class, so there's leveling out, so you do this, that, and the other thing because that's what you're qualified to do. You're down there. If you start out, you're up here. You keep, you know, and then there's sort of a, a leveling out of who's better at doing what if your talents are thus and so and they've been manifested through an amount of time and have been developed you in essence climb into a greater class of being that when you're a novice, you're a novice. When you spend more time, you become more uh, generative of your capacity and then you, you know, enhance and then I guess you demarcate where you are. And I guess you could kind of look at this as a division of labor and also a, a hierarchical sort of um, structure societally. I'd want to say, yeah, th that this is alongside fascism maybe a little bit. It is like capitalism. We organize and uh, assign to roles, you know, based on merits. It's like a meritocracy. And I think naturally we tend to do what interests us, what we are compelled to do, and what our talents are, and what just interests are naturally, and what kind of paths we follow, that we all kind of generate our, our own schematic intuitively through our own spirit and personality. Uh, we go our own way, and we become authorities sort of uh, as a self. You know, that, that it is truer than true that no one is more youer than you, as Dr. Seuss would say. Uh, uh, monarchies, oligarchies, aristocracies. The difference, oligarchies, is sort of like a um, an overarching uh, multi-platitude um, rulerships that money or uh, mo you know, multiple parties are in on one fundamental structure that come together and, and rule things. Monarchies, of course, being funneled into one person or one party only in the form of tyranny, usually. And then aristocracy, kind of a rule, ruling class, rule by the rich. Um, that kind of, I think in my opinion, is sort of the case. Lobbyists and, and legislation go hand in hand a lot nowadays. I think there's a lot of deals going on behind our backs power is making moves and there's lots of corruption. You will always have that. Political interests are political interests and there's usually a blind eye to certain forces and values want to permeate and it's usually my values over years. It's just by force. Usually that's kind of just how things have been. In terms of Marxism, which is more of a, a labor thing where most people are working class, they're serving something. Especially when it's more hierarchical, you are there to sort of uh, serve a higher class or to make money for people who own stuff. And that's the critique of the capitalist state or of a strict hierarchical mechanisms of control that there, there is sort of an outcry for people to want to have more control over their lives or to seize the means of production, so to speak. The Bolsheviks were so animated about this that in Russian, you know, during the 19th century, maybe early 20th century, the Russians were very adamant about saying, if you want to stand in our way, our left-leaning way of labor party and people not being dependent on the dictates of those that control operations in capitalism, that this sort of socialization, unionization, I guess, of what workers can do to control their destiny. The Bolsheviks were, if you're in our way trying to dismantle these powers by force, then we're going to throw you out of the way or kill you if you try to do anything about it. And <laughs> there's that extreme leftist extremism or right-wing extremism where you just come down on people that want to outcry over over things that they find are unjust or that they're being treated improperly or that they don't like the structure of how things are. 
it's hard to tell if sometimes people being treated as a number or by means of credits where social utility and also social equity are being balanced out, that there's not enough equity and there's just too much utility and efficiency where people are gaining tons and tons of money and the technology is granting them all this efficiency without the need to pay out or to maintain too much that you're generating all this wealth and value and now that it's so successful you don't need everybody and then people become just a uh, matter of convenience or of use that they are being exploited in some way and that the justification for stealing people's money or reintegrating the power structure and maybe distributing funds differently are we are morally justified in actually taking this power or this property that is privately owned or this money that is owned that is not mine so to speak we're going to make it mine because it was made off my back it is essentially mine that it should be shared but it isn't and that's the moral justification you take it as you will I'm just delivering this message to you. Now, here's some questions that I just want you to ask yourself. What is the proper scope of law in its role of providing conditions for social stability? So, and what and how how far reaching and how broad does law have to be and what is its role in providing stability for everybody? How much law should we have in order to keep social stability intact without people you know, breaking down boundaries, you know, that you don't agree with. What What is the rule here? What do we need to say? What forces of coercion to secure compliance with just laws are permissible? What What can we say about force in order to cons secure compliance is justifiable and permissible? Like how much of that is permissible? What rights apart from law do individuals and groups have? So individually, beyond the law, what what kind of rights should they be able to have? So if one is breaking a law for whatever just dues they claim, what does the individual retain? Or what other groups uh, retain in their own right beyond what laws have been made in light of society? Like if you want to be outside of the structure of law, what may be permissible so certain people can be outside of that? Is there a reason for that? How can you justify being outside of a given law? As we know, laws become repealed and other things are valued, like marijuana is no longer illegal. It's decriminalized. The boundary of marijuana is not as controlled. The society hasn't laid down the law on it as hard or that there isn't a defining line that says you cannot do this or else there's repercussions by rule. Under what conditions can we fight the law? I know we have the right for police officers to not uphold the law completely and that they can't say, I'm going to look for substances. I'm going to search your house without a warrant. No unreasonable searches and seizures. And there's also an element of retaining privacy that, well, if you don't have anything to hide, what are you worried about? Well, maybe I do have something to hide and I'm worried, but I have the right to have that. I have the right to my own privacy. I don't want you in my stuff because I don't believe that you should be there and tattletale on me and get me in trouble. <laughs> maybe people want to self-determine and be outside of the law and have you not be invasive and find out that they just don't want you meddling in their lives. They want to do their own thing outside of the law without you knowing if gun rights were abolished and people were handling guns and hiding guns and we were coming around knocking on your door like the Gestapo saying, hey, where are your guns? I get to, by right of law, come in and see if you have any. And if you do, you're going to jail. 
I think a lot of Americans would not be okay with that. Are you hiding any Jewish people here? By law, we have been ordered to get rid of dissenters of the nation, you know, and then it just goes from there. You know, you can see why that's a problem. And then, of course, what kinds of things are we obliged to uphold? And is it any of our business necessarily? And how do we strike a balance between efficiency of social utility and the distributive justice equity among these goods? Now, in, in Bolshevism, there is a idea of dictatorship of proletariat. Now, you can kind of uh, twist that around and say, well, like, yeah, a lot of uh, Marxist and, and Stalinist, Leninist ideas, they were kind of a dictatorship. But, you know, it, is it dictatorial of the people? Kind of like a democracy in a sense, but that of the proletariat, so of the working class, the working class has power and dictates everything rather than a central more mode of control or a hierarchical structure. I think that's the, the idea dictatorship of the proletariat, not dictatorships and we dictate the proletariat, which kind of turned out to be the case in Stalin's example, <laughs> but maybe he misinterpreted that, or maybe that's just the uh, nature of power is to do that, and that's the uh, idea behind uh, more collectivism, communism, socialism. The Bolshevik revolution was sort of a, uh, in the critique of uh, German philosophy anyway, is that Marxism was emasculated by amateurs and uh, retarded it was just Russian ignorance, I suppose, is what they thought. Disgruntled people. Now, we need to go over the signs of fascism. Signs of fascism uh, taking control over a nation is a powerful and continuing sense of nationalism. So, you know, America first. <laughs> you know, Germany first. Oh, man, that one kind of scares me a little bit because I've, I just, we know what, what's been going on with that. There's a disdain for human rights, you know, individual sovereignty, human rights, that as a person you have a certain set of rights, and that fascism says, well, we can strip however many we want away um, if it serves the nation or serves our values or, or whatever. Identification of enemies and scapegoating. There's always a pointing out of other groups in order to better unify what the in-group is. Supremacy of the military, so lots of military spending. Lots and lots of uh, chips going there. Rampant sexism, so there's a male dominance sort of a complex, male hierarchy. Controlled mass media, you know, we see a media that continually runs certain sound bits just to get people thinking certain ways. And that there's also, as a result, intellectuals who want to enlighten people are disdained. There's a disdain for intellectuals in the arts. Labor power is suppressed, so, you know, the Bolsheviks, right? Labor Marxism is suppressed because it's of the people, it's more socialistic. Corporate power is protected, so hierarchic means of control. Uh, corporations are rigidly structured to where they can do whatever they want to their employees. Obsession with national security, so fear of other people, xenophobia, and a fear of being attacked. Religion and government are intertwined, so you can have dogmas or ethnic sort of ideas intertwined with government so people can't freely uh, think, um, and even in a more spiritual sense, that even that is governed and, and state-utilized. So when religion and government are intertwined, there's fascism. There's an obsession with crime and punishment, so rule of law and enforcement are very um, saturated. There's a police state, rampant cronyism and corruption, so sort of a uh, rule-by-money kind of thing. Uh, and then fraudulent elections, where elections are seen as being scammy and very weird and that there's sort of even I think mass media has a lot to do with it can be connected in with fraudulency you know just 
uh, fixing people's free will and getting people to think certain ways and you know people getting paid in order to have airtime and and then yeah there's just all these you can point out like you know biden is rigged and oh trump stole the election you know each side keeps saying that towards each other and maybe that's just a sign that all around there's fraudulence maybe we should just be ruled by philosopher kings maybe i'll be a part of that um council maybe there's like a council of 500 of us the fortune 500 philosophers <laughs> and we'll rule and we'll have lots of money i guess we'll be able to eat sushi whenever we want but yeah i just wanted to run through all this stuff a little bit heavy politics man people people conducting their affairs yeah i think affairs should be conducted fairly justice if you want your thrasymachus you know justice ruled by the strong those that have the means and that fairness isn't uh, doing that which is good for those you rule over so that it's more of a, a gifted hand toward those that you're serving and that there is always going to be a sort of uh, a, a greater expanse of, of collective servitude towards something than someone stepping up and conducting the, yeah, the, the means for the service or the ownership or the one in power. I don't know if democracy's dead or not. I don't really want to talk about it because it's kind of depressing, but <laughs> it seems like we have choice, but I don't know how much choice we have. Really, in the end, I think there should be a fair balance between left and right, and that democratic choice should be more expansive, that we should have 10 people that we, that are on the tippic that have the same amount of voice, and that people actually have a better education in politics and, and how it affects them, and that maybe that things are made a lot more easier for everybody. People don't want to read tens of hours of literature on different proponents and, and topics. We need to be an informed citizenry because we're a democracy, but that's not everyone's bag. And it's hard to understand. I understand that. Not everyone is, is you know, th there's lots of people, even smart people, that don't really know what's going on. You know, it's it's something that a niche class of people, maybe philosophers, so you know, soci socially minded people, people in law, people working in politics, and, and those just generally more interested but it's kind of hard to gather all that together and have everyone do in a democracy because that's kind of what democracy depends on. But democracy is, you know, the polity, the uh, the will of, representative will of the people, so to speak. But it's hard to tell if we're actually uh, really making our own decisions anyway because there's so many forces going around that are influencing what's going on. And it's hard to, to redirect where we concentrate our power because it's more of a... Uh, current situation of how we direct power in a circuit or something. Okay, um, I'm done now. I will see you next time. Thank you.